I have the mind of God for the morning, and so that's how I feel this morning. Praise God. Now, you may remember last week, for those that were here, when I was just chairing, I made mention in short word, and I spoke about having ears to hear. Remember that? And hear, hear what the Spirit is speaking, and, and having ears to hear as exhorted in the Scriptures. And so kind of today's message kind of builds on that, in a sense, because of what we're going to consider and what we're going to look at in the Scriptures. And so, um, so, as in all things, when it comes to the Bible, we have to have an ear to hear. And so my question is, are you listening? Are you listening? And so, because it's an exciting thing to hear God speak. You know, God does speak. And so, in not only in the Logos, but in the realm of God, in which He quickens His Word to us at a particular moment, or speaks something to our lives... And so we have to have the ability to tune in. We have to have the ability to hear when God speaks to us. And so we're going to look at an individual in the Bible by the name of Samuel. And uh, familiar to many, I'm sure. And Samuel had an ear to hear, or he developed an ear to hear. Let's put it that way. Because that's also part of the process. You have to develop that sensitivity to, the, to hearing the voice of God. So Samuel had a ear to hear. So if you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, that's what we're going to read from in just a moment. And as we look at Samuel's life and the context of his life and what God was doing, it's interesting because I was asked last week, we found out last week that we were going to have the child dedication for um, Jeremiah. And, um, and I already had this in mind of what I was going to pre uh, preach on, but it kind of fitted perfectly because when you look at Samuel's life, he was a child that was, what, dedicated to God. And so, you know, the story there with the, his mother, Hannah, who was barren, and she cried out to God for a child, and, and, uh, and in her desperation and tears, God met with her, and she had a child, and she made a vow saying uh, that she would dedicate and give and lend the child to the Lord all the days of his life. And so that's exactly what happened. And so Samuel... He had a good start in that he, as, as uh, before he was even born and afterwards, he was dedicated to God. And really, how, how, what a joy it is to dedicate our children to God. Because the Bible tells us that uh, children are a gift from God. We're only stewards of, God, what is, of all these things, and especially when it comes to raising children. And so a child dedication is not just about committing the child and dedicating the child to God. That is one aspect. But it's also a vow in which we commit ourselves to, um, to, to, uh, uh, to God to train the child, to teach the child in the ways of God, by way in which we speak, in the way in which we conduct ourselves, in the way in which we live. And so child dedications are, are important in that context. And so here's Samuel, and he developed an ear to hear because he was, he was dedicated to God. And so we want to keep that in mind as we consider the message this morning because it's a great blessing to grow up in a, in a Christian home. Did you know that? I mean, the, the blessing 
I mean, it's, um, uh, when you're in it, you don't really fully appreciate it. But as life goes on, you should grow in an understanding and appreciation and the privilege to be able to grow up in a Christian household and have godly parents who love God that have, are sacrificing uh, themselves and giving themselves to the Lord and are teaching you and training you and admonishing you in the ways of God. What a blessing. And if you if haven't learned to appreciate it, I tell you, you will. And um, again, getting back to uh, uh, Samuel this morning. Now, the, the story of Samuel, if we can put it this way, it's a story of revival. When I say revival, I mean in the context of Israel's history, it was a dark time, dark period in the nation's history. And uh, in many ways, not just amongst the people, but even the corruption that had come into the priesthood. It was widespread, it was everywhere. And so here you have uh, a dark period in the na nation's history and uh, Samuel is like a light that, that begins to shine in a dark place. And that's why I talk about revival this morning because that's when uh, the church, when the church enters into such places and it happens and it's happened in history and it happens again and it's happening now in many respects. We need a visitation from God. We need revival in our hearts. We need revival in the church. We need revival to come alive in Christ Jesus. And so, again, Samuel speaks to us in this context. And so I want to highlight three key points uh, that we'll touch upon throughout the message. But there's three key points to revival in our hearts. The, work, the first is the purging of hypocrisy in our lives. The purging of hypocrisy. The second is a fresh vision of God. A fresh vision of God. And the last one, this applies uh, to younger folk in the context of Samuel. We need young men and women, young people who will stand for the truth. So let's read our text. Samuel chapter 3 verse 1. We'll read through the chapter, so just bear with me. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and, and he answered, Here I am. So he, Samuel, ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel a third time. So he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and he said, or called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. 
Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which your both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. That's heavy. So Samuel lie down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word of the, that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he had said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet to the Lord of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So here you have Samuel. And Samuel is again, remember the context. It's in a dark phase, dark period of Israel's history. Now I just want to lay a bit of a foundation here because the Bible uh, t tells us in a number of instances about the dangers of having no understanding or revelation of God and his purposes. For example, in the book of, through the prophet Hosea, in chapter 4, verse 6, God is declaring the state of his people again, which is in rebellion, disobedience, and a place of spiritual darkness. And God is lamenting their condition, and he says, My people, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Okay, so again, their ignorance is, is killing them. Some You've heard the saying, ignorance is bliss. No, it's not bliss. Ignorance will kill you. And so, in fact, here it is, God's lamenting. My people are, are, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so this is not to be the case. And, and uh, To have a lack of knowledge and understanding of God's word is, is, a, is a bad, bad situation to be in. And really this is the condition of the children of Israel in, the, in the verses 1 to 3 that we begin to see as it speaks in the Bible. Listen, look at verse 1. It says, Now the boy Samuel ministered, and, uh, and it says this, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation from God. Now take note of that. In other words, these, uh, the nation at this point is being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. The word of the Lord is rare because God is not speaking, because the people are not listening. They're in disobedience to the word of God. And so then God uh, is, is, uh, is, the word of the Lord is rare. And the Bible says there's no widespread revelation of who God is. See, this is the result of generations now that have grown up without a knowledge of God. And so the Bible uh, also refers to it where there's no vision. Where there's no vision, no widespread revelation. There's no understanding or no understanding of his prophetic purposes, no understanding of his nature, no understanding of his will. 
In the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 18, the Bible says, Where there is no widespread revelation of God, the people cast off restraint. So where there is no widespread revelation, in the King James it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. So where there's no vision of God, the people will perish. Or in the New King James, where there's no widespread revelation, same word, the people cast off restraints because there's nothing governing their lives. There's nothing harnessing their conduct. So there's a casting off of all restraint and everyone just begins to do what's right in their own eyes and just live life according to their own will and their own purposes and the dictates of their own heart. And as a result of that, the knowledge of God is, is diminished and there's no widespread revelation. Oh yeah, everyone can still name the name of Jesus. Everyone can still go through the ritual of routine of going to church. But there's no widespread revelation of God. There's no comprehension of spiritual things. There's no understanding and deep knowledge of the intimate word of God. And this is a sad state to be in. So much so that even Eli as the high priest, his two sons, the Bible says that they are wicked before the Lord. The, the, the corruption has not just now filtered from uh, the bottom up, it's now from the top up, down. And Eli's sons, they are corrupted themselves. So much so that we see in the text that God, in his judgment, is going to kill them. You see, the Bible also gives us some further insight into the circumstances and the context of what's going on at that moment of time. So not only is the word of the Lord rare, not only is there no widespread revelation of God, the Bible paints a further picture for us and it says in verse 2, and it came to pass in the process of time, it came to pass when Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, so he was going blind. Now listen, before the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Again, this is the prevailing situation. So Eli, he's, he's going blind. And as a result of the blindness and the priesthood, his sons are wicked. They're not interested in the priesthood and the servicing of serving God and doing and obeying the Lord. And so we're in a precarious situation because the emphasis now is on the tabernacle, the house of God. And so the Bible says, before the lamp, before the lamp of God went out. Now the lamp of God is the lampstand that is found in the holy, uh, holy place in the tabernacle where the priests would go in daily, routinely, and, uh, admin, and, and minister to the Lord through attending to the needs, that, the various needs that were throughout the tabernacle. And so here's a situation that now Eli is, is about to go blind. So how can he go into the temple? The, the lamp of God's about to go out. So again, what's happening naturally here is representing a spiritual reality. And so, in other words, the lamp of God, it represents the illumination, the revelation of God to the nation. It's having an, a vision of God. It's having revelation of who he is and his purpose and the knowledge of God. And yet, Israel is at a point where the lamp of God is about to go out. 
And not only is Eli blind in the physical sense, we can now transfer this into the church age and where these things are same parallels because the church can be so blinded. The church can have, you know, uh, their spiritual eyes can be diminished and they can too to the point of blindness. That's what Jesus said to Laodicea, didn't he? He says, uh, you say I see, but you're blind. You've gone blind. And this is the danger. This is what's happening in Israel. This is what can happen and does happen in the church if we're not careful. And so... We have the lampstand that's in the tabernacle. You see, what's interesting is in the book of Exodus, chapter 27, and uh, and in verses 20 to 21, I won't read it, but it talks about the priest had to daily go. Before dawn, he had to get up, and before the sunrise, and he would have to get up and he would go into the temple to to administer to the duties. One of those was the lampstand. And, in the, and the Bible tells us that he daily went into the tabernacle before dawn and he had to trim the wick. He had to attend to the wicks of the, of, of the lamp and renew and replenish the oil to keep the lamp of God burning. This was what the priest had to do. And it, uh, again, it kind of gives us insight to some things which we'll touch upon a little later. But you see, there, this is God at work. Because, you know, even though men destroy the testimony of God, even though men can turn their back on God, even though the testimony of God through men can be lost, God watches over his testimony. Amen? Amen. God is going to keep that lamp burning. God is going to make sure before it goes out, before the, the, there's no vision completely, God is going to make sure that that, 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 uh, that, that uh, candlestick will continue to burn. Because God is sovereign. He watches over his testimony. God has a plan and he has a purpose. And notice how it came about. It came about through a woman who was barren, who couldn't have children, there was, a, and again, the, the, the sense in the natural is there's hopelessness. There's no way, naturally speaking, that this can happen. But not in, a miracle, in the context of a miracle working God. Because God is going to work, work a miracle. God is going to make sure that this testimony is not going to be completely snuffed out. But rather, God is going to ensure that that light is going to continue to burn. And so... God is sovereign. Now I noted in the beginning, if you recall, I said there was three prerequisites or three aspects of revival. The first one was the purging of hypocrisy. The purging of hypocrisy. You see, the lamp of God was in danger. And the Bible says uh, it was in danger because Eli's sons had become so wicked before the Lord And the hypocrisy that was manifesting itself within the priesthood was immense. And God was going to have none of it. In fact, if if there's anything that God cannot tolerate, it is hypocrisy. Isn't that true? I mean, Jesus had time for all, even the sinner and uh, the prostitute. But when it came to those hypocrites, I mean, he went, he just unleashed on them. 
Because there's something in the heart of God uh, that cannot stand that amount of hypocrisy. And as too, when it came to Eli's sons, here they are abusing and corrupting um, uh, the priesthood and God's going to have none of it. And so the Bible tells us that they were hypocrites and that they were wicked before the Lord. In chapter 2, actually, verse 12 of Samuel, it tells us about them. And it says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. How sad, they did not know the Lord. Oh, God help us. They did not know the Lord. And the last thing we want to do is raise children that do not know the Lord. Well, our whole mission is to train a child the word of God, to teach them, to instruct them, to show them, to be an example to them. Everything about our lives is poured out for our children, is it not? And here it is. And Eli, we're told, he failed to discipline them. In another, uh, God says that, he got, that Eli had, had failed in certain aspects. And so God was going to bring judgment, but he was going to purge the hypocrisy that was in the ranks. And so God sent them a prophet and he pronounced this judgment upon them and the descendants, it was, a, I mean, we even heard it reiterated when God speaks to Samuel and says that there'll be no atonement for sin. I mean, this is serious. God's got, not having none of this. He's going to judge this wickedness. And so... God rejected Eli's household. And so God was going to kill them, in which case he did. In scripture, we find this happening in chapter 4. But in doing so, God was purging out the hypocrisy and the wickedness within his own house. And this is how God works, is it not? You see, God was going to raise up another, Samuel. The Bible says even Jesus, when he came and he took his 12 disciples, he made the statement, he said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. And so we find this pattern throughout scripture where God judges and he removes and he rejects for various reasons and he renews and he starts again. And this hasn't changed. God is, a, you know, we talk about God being a God of love, but the Bible tells us, even when it comes to the church and the principles that we're touching on, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says, For the time has come for what? For judgment to begin. Where? In the house of God. Because God will not tolerate in his house the hypocrisy and the, the rebellion and disobedience and sin. And he will deal with these things. The scripture is clear on this. He will purge out hypocrisy and wickedness from his people. You see, we have in verse 26 of chapter 2, in contrast, we talk about this little boy Samuel. It says, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favour both with the Lord and with men. What wonderful words. They're, I mean, you read the whole story, it's just filled with you know, such you know, judgment and God's displeasure and all the rest of it. But you see, you have these little glimmers because God is working in the background. God is always working, church. We don't know sometimes and we can't see sometimes. And we don't understand sometimes. But God is always working working 
in the background. And so here's this child Samuel. He grew in stature and in favour with both men and with God. And so Samuel was uh, going to be used of God. God had a plan and a purpose for him. Which brings us to the second point that I made emphasis of it in the introduction, and that is that not only is the first point of revival the purging of sin or the purging of hypocrisy, but it's also a fresh vision of God. Amen. This is, you know, this is the beauty. I have a book at home. It's about this thin. It's, got about, it's probably about 50 pages. It's called When I Saw Him. And it's about when you see God, when you have a fresh vision of God and it causes us to break, it causes us to humble ourselves, it causes us to bow the knee in brokenness and say, woe is me. Or as John did, he fell down as one dead. Because when we see God for who he is and we have a vision, a fresh vision of God in our lives, we are utterly obliterated. Like uh, uh, Job said, I abhor myself. But you see, it's out of that, amen, we have a fresh vision of God. And God in his, in his nature and in his purpose, he takes of that and he turns things around, amen, in our lives. That's why we call it, it's called revival. You know what that is? To live again, to come back to life out of death out of uh, despair and God quickens and sends his spirit into our hearts, into our midst and again everything comes and he's renewed and we call it revival, praise the Lord. And so we need a fresh vision of God and this is what we're being introduced to in Samuel. You see, before all vision is lost, before the word of the Lord is completely diminished, before there is no revelation at all of God, God is working to create a fresh vision. And this was years in the making. Behind the scenes, God was at work. He was working through a child that was dedicated to God. And so the Bible says that the child Samuel... Listen to verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the boy, Samuel, it says, ministered to the Lord. The boy. That's why all these children, eh? Praise God, there's plenty of them. It's good to see. Because children to minister to the Lord. Doesn't even have to be a certain age. I mean, you just have to be alive, amen? And when you're capable, you can begin to serve, you can begin to minister, you can begin to function, or whatever the case may be in any capacity, but it's about the heart. And so here it is, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. Notice the conditions as well. Samuel is in the midst of wickedness. He's in the midst of a climate and an atmosphere where there's rebellion, disobedience and God's displeasure. Eli's gone blind and like here it is, he's like, well, what's going to be happening next? But you see, God is at work. And in the midst of that, God's working his plan and his purpose. And so here is the prerequisite to hearing God's voice and having a fresh vision of him is that we have to be ministering to the Lord. It's not enough just to go through the routine of going to church and going through the rituals of religion. It, it's not going to cut the mustard. You know what that means? 
<laughs> no, no, well, I didn't think so. <laughs> he said it and I knew. <laughs> well, it's not good enough, all right? <laughs> it's not good enough. Uh, anyways, and so it is important to realize this. Because we're going to have to get involved. We're going to have to participate. We're going to have to be a part of. And in whatever capacity that is, we're all different and all the rest of it, but still you've got to be invested. You've got to be uh, ministering to the Lord. That needs to be your life. That word ministered means to attend to, to contribute, to wait on, to serve. Because that's the, how the body functions. Amen? Amen. Each one of us, according to the gifts and callings of God, we, we serve God, we serve one another, and we all bless one another. And so this issue of ministering to God is critical. That's what the priests would do. They would minister to God. In fact, in the book of Acts, you have Paul and the apostles, and in Acts 13, let me read it to you, verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, Manian, whatever, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so the scripture says they ministered to the Lord through prayer and fasting. See, this is how you have to have a heart that's drawing near to God. You have to have a heart that's seeking God because you will not hear from God otherwise. It's as simple as that. God will be calling, but you, you, you just won't have your ear tuned in. You won't be hearing. And so here it is, it's ministering to God, it's about being, it's participating, it's about serving God, serving in the assembly, in the local church in which God has placed us. It's about serving in all these capacities. And as we minister to the Lord in prayer and in fasting, the Bible says the Holy Spirit said, separate to me. God spoke and they heard the voice of the Spirit. Isn't that the principle that we're seeing here throughout the scripture? Unless one is tuned in, unless one has a heart that is loyal and seeking God, we will hear nothing. The, Lord of, the word of the Lord will remain rare and there'll be no widespread revelation. See, if we're not seeking God, if we're not living right before God, if we're not obeying God, then how are we going to hear from God? This is critical and we have to examine ourselves and we need to purge out ourselves, our own hypocrisy in our own lives and get right before the Lord. You see, we need to separate ourselves to minister to God. Read your Bible, pray, come to church, be in prayer meetings. When prayer meeting a fortnight, I want to encourage you, come out and be a part of it. Seek God. There's another dimension to your life. You see, we need this morning individually and corporately a fresh vision of God. A fresh vision from God. We need to have a revelation. Don't be ignorant of his will. 
Don't be ignorant of his plan and his purpose for your life. You say, well, what does the Lord want to do with me? (laughs) All you need to do is make yourself available. Seek him. Call upon him. He'll speak to you. You see, in our last, we just had our last Bible study on Wednesday evening for this, for this year. And we'd been doing the book of Revelation, but we finished one section, so we stopped it. And we said, okay, so I chose just a practical scripture that we would look at. And maybe we can turn to it because I want to read it to you in the uh, book of Ephesians chapter 5. And so here we were, I chose this and I said, let's come to the, the Bible study and let's go through this portion of text but listen, we have to have a fresh vision. Verse 15 of chapter 5. Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be under unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Have a comprehension, a revelation of God and his purpose, his word and his will. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the command, that's the exhortation, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's why we can come into the house of God and have praise and worship, amen. And you can get excited, You can freely worship, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of God. You see, a fresh vision. Samuel was about to have a fresh vision because he was about to hear and and the word of the Lord was about to be revealed to him and he was going to see things from God's perspective. That's what we need. We need exactly the same thing. You see, understand what the will of the Lord is. This is what happened to Samuel in verse 4. Look back to our text. And the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here I am. Now you know the story. He has not yet identified that it's God speaking to him. He's hearing the voice. But he, he thinks it's Eli. So he runs to Eli, the priest, and he says, you called, what is it that you want? And Eli's like, well, I didn't call you. And so this happens on three occasions. And on the third occasion, he runs to Eli again and says, you did call me. And then Eli perceived, obviously now, that it was the Lord that was calling Samuel. And he gave him some instruction. And then on the fourth occasion, God says, Samuel, Samuel. Calls him twice this time. There's emphasis. And he hears, and having been instructed by Eli, he says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's the disposition that we have to have before God this morning. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Our brother used the word bondservant in his prayer this morning. Because we are bondservants of God. That word in the Greek comes from slaves. But we're not slaves unwillingly. We're bondservants. We're slaves willingly. Because we love God. 
Our life is not our own. We've been bought at a price. And so therefore my life is entirely God's. And so therefore I must say, speak, Lord. What do you want me to do? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Are you listening? Is your ear tuned in this morning to hear the voice of God in your life? See, look at what God speaks to him in verse 11 when he says this. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'll do something in Israel at which both the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And he begins to tell Samuel that he's going to judge Eli's sons and he's going to destroy them and kill them. And he's doing this because of their wickedness and because Eli failed to to, to discipline them appropriately. And so this is really, really serious. Could you imagine Samuel hearing this for the first time? I mean, he loves Eli. He's grown up in an environment, he's had his heart, his heart's been to the Lord. He, he's not fully cognizant about everything that's going on around him. He's still only a boy. And so he's, he's ignorant of these things. And when God speaks to him, he's saying to him, he's revealing to him this, in the first instance, my intention to judge Eli and his sons because of their wickedness, which he knows because I've told him previously through the prophet. And Samuel's like, whoa, this is heavy. And so... This would have been hard for Samuel to hear from the Lord because yet he loved Eli and loves Eli and yet God's telling him the error of his master, so to speak, of his teacher, the one that he's been serving and ministering with. But you see, this leads us to this third point of revival that I spoke about before. The prerequisites or the, the points is the purging out of hypocrisy, the getting a fresh vision from God, and lastly, in this case, young people standing up for the truth. That's what we need today, amen. Young men and women who will not be comprom- will not compromise with the world that is around them. When you're growing up. And, uh, and, and you're getting exposed to the realities of the world and all that's going on out there, it's time for you to hear God's voice uh, and uh, it's time for you to stand up and say, no, that's wrong. God hates that. No, that's disobeying God. And you begin to stand for the truth. This is what Samuel is doing in his first instance when he's hearing God's voice. And that's what we need to do. We need to stand and we need to expose the unfruitful works of darkness, not participate in them. And so here it is, we are to declare those things as evil as they are and proclaim the truth of God's word. Now, I have no doubt that Samuel, was, you know, he's heard this and he's, he, you know, he goes out and then Eli says to him, hey, Samuel, what did God say to you? <laughs> Could you imagine Samuel? Is like, <laughs> and then Samuel says, come on. I mean, Eli says, come on, Samuel, you've got to tell me everything. And so Samuel says, he says, well, God said he's going to judge you and he's going to judge your household. He's going to kill your sons because of the iniquity and your failure to deal with them properly. 
Could you imagine saying that to your, to some leader, to a pastor, or to someone as you've, uh, who's deeply so compromised the gospels, uh, compromised the word of God, and say, uh, and then when when you hear the truth, and when you God reveals to you the truth, and then you stand up for that truth and expose those around you. But you see, this is the beginning. This is a fresh vision of, of God to Samuel. And this is what was the beginning of his ministry unto the Lord. So it took courage. But you see, God needs Samuels this morning. He really does. You know the word Samuel means heard of God because it, that's the reason why Hannah called him Samuel because God heard her cry for a child. And God gave her one which she dedicated and to him. And so, not only did God hear, but Samuel heard God. And now his ear was tuned in to the voice of God. And so God needs Samuels this morning. And I want to conclude with some thoughts and a question. Are you hearing from God this morning? You say, well, I, I, I don't know what you mean. You see, because God speaks. God speaks. All we have to do is take the time to wait and minister to the Lord. To draw near to him and read his word and to pray. And to just be a part of what he is doing. And as we commit ourselves and draw near to God, the Bible says that he will draw near to you. And then he will begin to speak to you. Because, you know, as Jesus said, he's not going to cast pearls before swine. Now, and again, I'm not calling it swine. I'm just using the illustration. I'm making the point is that God's going to reveal himself to those whose hearts are what? Loyal to him. Those whose hearts are tuned in. Those that want to have an ear to hear. Then God says, I will speak to you. And so... Are we ministering to the Lord? Are you seeking God in your life? Do you hear? If not, what can we learn from the scripture this morning? Well, is there a lack of knowledge in your life? Is, there, uh, is the word of the Lord rare in your life? Is there no widespread revelation of God in your life? Why? Maybe you're not walking with God as you should be. Maybe there's disobedience. Maybe there's issues in your life that need to be dealt with. That's why the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Because if you're going to see God for who he is and know him for who he really is, then you have to be holy. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And if we're not living right, then the word of the Lord will be rare. There'll be no widespread revelation. You won't see God because your life is not right. So God will be hidden from you. But when you are seeking him and you are living right before him, then God will reveal himself and you'll see him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so we need to say, Lord, give me ears to hear. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is the lamp of God going out in your life? Because if it is, where do we start? Well, let's go back to the scripture. And this is my last concluding thought. Now listen carefully. And this is what the Lord confirmed. Because Brother Colm chose a song today called Give Me Oil in My Lamp. Brother Isaac, in his prayer, he made a focus. 
It was just a Sunday school song that he once learned, but it's got rich spiritual meaning to it. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. You see, the priests had to daily, before dawn, go and attend to the candlestick in the temple. And part of that process was they had to trim the wick and clean it up and cut off the excess, the burnt parts, and refresh it so that it was ready to continue to burn. And then they had to apply and pour in the oil, the fresh oil. And, you know, this is spiritual because we too have to attend in the same manner. Are you seeking God daily? Are you waiting upon the Lord? Do you need to trim your lamp? Give me oil in my lamp, Lord. Keep me burning because we don't want the lamp of God to go out in our lives individually or corporately in the church. We want the lamp of God to shine. We want the fullness of the Spirit. We want the illumination of God. We want vision. We want the revelation of God. And so if we need to trim our wicks, then let it be. Trim, get away those things from our lives that are dead, dead works that are not necessary. Cut them off. Trim the lamp and renew and draw near to God and let the, the fullness of God's spirit, let the oil fill you afresh. The spirit of God be filled with the spirit. That's the command of God. Are you with me this morning? Have you heard the voice of the spirit this morning? I pray you have. Let's pray. Oh, God. Father, I pray that you'd minister to hearts this morning. God, let us have an ear to hear and a heart to understand. Lord, surely, God, if we're not careful, if we don't pay careful consideration, if we don't walk circumspectly, accurately, carefully, then, Lord, we'll just, be drift, we'll just drift away. But God, we've got to be deliberate. We've got to be purposeful. We've got to, God, give ourselves unto the ministry of the Lord, unto you. God, I pray that you would minister to hearts even now. Let them hear the voice of God, even if it's for the first time. God, let them hear your voice speaking into their hearts today. God, minister to individual lives, to the young ones, Lord. The purging of hypocrisy, a fresh vision of God and standing for the truth. God, that's what we need. We need Samuels today, Lord. God, I pray you bless your people and the assembly. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. And so having come to that conclusion, I'm going to ask Pastor Werner to come forward. We're just going to... Uh,